Welcome to the Multitask. This is John. It's your boy Fatty. What's going on, guys? So this is one of those September weeks where it was slow, but was it really, really slow? I mean, I don't think there were any bombshells, or maybe there were, but I bet you as we go on with the pod and dive deeper into the pod, we'll find a lot happened. And I think, you know, I would like to start with the whole Mar-a-Lago um, uh, files, uh, missing files thing is, you know, that judge, the judge, that uh, Judge Cannon that, that Trump uh, chose, she seems to be doing what he wants her to do. But uh, I love the I love the way that the uh, Department of Justice is uh, clapping back. So, what's your take right now on on, on Mar-a-Lago and 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 the files? It, it makes me a little bit pessimistic because it just seems like he's he always gets away with things, and then the courts so far have served as a check and balances. Obviously, all those lawsuits regarding the election were, were tossed out and stuff like that. But in this case, it doesn't seem like there is a checks and balances. She's clearly doing what he wants. There's clearly a lot of um, favors that she's doing for him. Now, the DOJ um, appealed it. I think they kicked it up to the 11th Circuit, which I thought they did already. But I guess there was like a little bit of a appeal there. I'm not sure as far as I don't have my Twitter. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's, the 11th, it's the 11th, 11th Circuit. It's the 11th Circuit. What did I say? I think you said 7th. Or maybe I overheard. No. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I don't have my Twitter degree in, in law just yet, but um, my worry, John, is just what what if they just get away with this? What if he just happened to play this the right way, get it into the right hands, and um, and get away with it? Now, I don't know what that means for the long-term stability of the case or what have you. It seems like they have him dead to right, so I don't know if it tanks that whole thing. Um, and I'm also worried about if if... Trump, I don't think so, but if Trump somehow wins in 24, I, there, I bet you there's going to be a lot more judges in, in not only 11th Circuit, but in different circuits across this country that are going to do exactly what they want him to do. So this is clearly an unqualified judge, and everybody talks about her um, credentials in that way. So I'm not sure. It just, it just made me pessimistic, not because of the whole case going down. It just made me pessimistic that, well, he has a Supreme Court in his in his hands, and he has different kind of judges across the across the country. So my worry is just um, we might have him, but he might just be able to get away with it legally, if that makes any sense. I, I'm i not as pessimistic as you are. Um, now, granted, there are a number of um, judges on that circuit who are in the, in the appeal process who are Trump appointees. But I also think that there's some things that uh, work against them. So, I mean, work against him. So, I mean, I don't want to be, uh, I understand. I don't think the pessimism is misplaced, but I would just say temperate, right? I would say temperate. I think one of the things that um, really does make a difference is that from what a lot of the analysts that, that I've listened to have said, um, she wrote such a bad opinion that not only is her credibility is on the line, but the credibility of the judges who would uphold her opinion. Um, now, the other thing that we should understand is whatever the appellate court does, it will most likely go to the Supreme Court. 
If they rule in the favor of the DOJ, Trump's people will take it to the Supreme Court. If they rule in the favor of uh, Trump, the DOJ will take it to the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, that's, that is one of the things that I think a lot of people uh, have to be prepared for. But, you know, Trump has, he's in a bind. Uh, was it this week? And it's weird. That, you remember I said we thought nothing happened, but everything happened. But wasn't it this week, or it may have even been Sunday to Monday, where Trump just appeared in Washington, D.C. Uh, in his uh, golf shoes on a plane, and it seemed like something was up. And then the next day, he and his boys were at the golf course having meetings without golf clubs, but it was people likened it to like a Sopranos thing where they were probably out on a course where they knew there were no mics. Um, what's your take on on the Trump trip to, to D.C. and the pseudo-golf outing? Well, it's, it's first, it's interesting just to hear the, 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 just the Twitter kind of conversation about it. That was fun to partake in. Um, that seemed like a mafia sort of meeting with no golf clubs and everybody was, was huddled and, and, and talking, but I will say they're paranoid about the wrong thing. They're paranoid about mics and stuff, but it's really the people. He has people that flipped against him. Now, did he vet out anybody who was at that golf course? Maybe he knows who this uh, person who flipped on him is and they're trying to um, phase that person out. But the, it doesn't matter if Mike's if the, one of the people who's flipped on him is in that uh, is on that golf course. It doesn't really matter if there's Mike's or not. So he, from what I understand, he's going um, uh, crazy behind the scenes trying to figure out who flipped on him. And who's this secret mole that's working with the DOJ or what have you? We know Mark Meadows was talking this week, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But, um, yeah, I, look, he, he always was this person to me. He always thinks that this is um, appealing to people. And, look, this isn't uncommon. There's a lot of meetings that happen on golf courses, but usually there's just golf in between. But this one seemed a little uh, out of left field for sure. There were, I mean, it looked like there were no clubs in those carts. It was, yeah, it was, for sure. Yeah. No, it was no gloves on those carts. But I think the thing is, is that Trump has put himself in a situation where the walls are closing in. Uh, he's going ahead. He's still lashing out. But um, there's just so much going on. And I, first of all, I think, like I say, I think your pessimism is... I don't agree with your pessimism, but I wouldn't also discourage it. I'd say temper it. But I also think that there's enough things coming at him that even if he slips through one or two tackles, there's a linebacker waiting to just clean his clock, if that makes You know, I went to a football analogy. But even if he slips one or two tackles, he's about to get blindsided by something else. There is there is somebody bearing down on him that even if he breaks tackles, uh, he's not going to get too far, in my opinion, using a football analogy. Yeah, no, I, I, I like I said, I, I, the DOJ has him dead to rights for sure. Um, it just makes me pessimistic, maybe overall big picture in the country as, as far as the courts go. Now, I was pretty surprised. Uh, maybe I wasn't as surprised as other people, but I was pretty surprised that all those lawsuits got thrown out by the Supreme Court. There was a lot of Trump judges who threw out a lot of lawsuits regarding the election. So maybe this is just one rogue judge who listen to him and everything else would get thrown out uh, as far as Trump goes. But 
he's succeeding. This is what Trump is good at. I, I think a lot of people make this point about him. He's famous for this. He likes court. He likes being in litigation. He does this constantly. He's over the last 30 years, there hasn't been a time where he hasn't been in court for one thing or another. So he, he's pretty good at this. His lawyers suck and his lawyers are kind of just these fringe people, these personalities. So I'm not sure how he's so successful at it, but I need, I don't think he has that much money, but I believe his lawyer in this case got a $3 million retainer, which is interesting because he refuses to pay uh, Rudy or anything like that. So I, I just, I, I totally get your analogy. I'm not pessimistic that this will never work out. I just, I'm, I, I am worried that Trump might be able to finagle it in a way to um, work in his favor because he's always done that. You know, he's, he's, and as we know, like when you corner something like this, they're going to try everything in their power to wiggle out. And it just seems like he's starting to wiggle out a little bit, but I, I still have hope that the DOJ hasn't dead the rights. No. And, 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 and I agree now, uh, you mentioned Mark Meadows and uh, I know a little bit about it, but I think you read it and read more into it. Tell us a little bit about, uh, Mark Meadows cooperation. He's been cooperating with, is it both the DOJ or the, and the January 6th committee or just the DOJ who, who all, what, what is the background? What is the 411 on Mark Meadows' cooperation with uh, regarding January 6th? Well, you, I think you just said it. You probably know as much as I do. I think he's, from what I understand, he's been cooperating with the DOJ. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's flipped or anything. It just means that they asked him for things and they asked for his participation. And he's... Uh, participating. That, he might be shutting him out. He might be pleading the fifth. He might not be giving them anything useful, but he's not ignoring them is, is how I took that. I, I didn't... Now, we know that Mark Meadows started working with the January 6th Commission. They got a little bit out of him, and then he kind of uh, went back and, and, and shut everything down. So I think he's not going to do that with the DOJ because it's, it's more of a... Uh, the January 6th Commission technically isn't a thing that uh, you legally have to well, you, you legally do if you get indicted and subpoenaed, but I guess what I'm saying is there's much more of a, a backbone to the DOJ than it is the January 6th Commission. So he was participating, and I, I just don't know. when you I think you sent it to me, and I was like, I just don't know what this means. It could mean he's returning phone calls and he's returning emails and his lawyers are in touch, but I don't necessarily think he's flipped or he's giving them everything. So that that's what we know now, that he's just been participating, but at what level that participation is, I think a little bit remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's still going to be a, a fascinating thing to see, but that's why I say the walls are closing in because I've even heard some people say that there is some concern with amongst Trump's lawyers that um, Trump has been talking to Meadows too much and they're really, really nervous and anxious about how much Meadows and Trump are in communication and is there stuff that Trump is saying to Meadows that he shouldn't be saying that that is completely making it back to the DOJ? So, look, um, the walls are closing in. More and more people are are getting looked at. Um, I really th do think that you know we obviously we know that the January sixth commission it has until January thirty. I mean December thirty first. And trust me. Here's the thing, and the way lame duck sessions work. If the Democrats lose the House, and you and I are growing more and more optimistic that they won't, but if the Democrats lose the House, 
the Democrats are still in a majority until December 31st, actually maybe January 1st or 2nd. So the as long as the January 6th commission goes ahead and wraps up its work by December 31st, they're good. But that's only only if, if we make the assumption that the Democrats lose. If the Democrats win, they can keep this jam going all, all the way for another two years. So th- that will be fascinating, right? So even if things don't go the way Democrats want them to, the Republicans cannot do anything before January 1st to impact the January 6th commission. But I, but like I say, I don't know about you, but I'm more optimistic that we'll be in the majority. Yeah, it, it, it remains to be seen. I think, I think, um, it's it's hard to it's hard to predict now, but I, I just think it's probably not as close as. Uh, here's what I'll say: I think it's closer than we thought it was four months ago. I just I'm not sure how close it is as it stands today. I think the Senate is more of a uh, secure than the House is. I just think the polls are optimistic, but the polls have been swung wrong in two or three straight elections, really. So um, my worry is that we're getting our hopes up now. We should treat it like we're down and we should treat it like there's a chance because there's obviously a chance. And remember, like, I, I know that the difference between Pelosi and McCarthy or whoever, if it's not Pelosi or McCarthy, I know that difference is stark, but people are expecting a 50 C, 60 C loss. And I just definitely don't think it's going to be that. So it, it just might be a slimmer margin. Now, the, the, if they are in control and McCarthy is a speaker, that obviously means more than anything because those people stay in line. But if it's a one, two C majority and there's a couple of investigations going on, I'm not even sure how that works. What if they have one seat and Gates gets uh, indicted and there's a tie, right? So there's just a lot, there's a lot there, but I just don't think it's going to be a 50, 60 C loss as we were predicting maybe a year ago. Yeah, well, I will tell you, um, the House members I know um, is that there is the, the the Democratic House members are increasingly optimistic. And I think the special election in New York and the special election in Alaska really made them optimistic. If if Think about it. If the person holds on in Alaska and... We still, and and I think we need to take a deep dive, though, is we keep hearing the Republicans could take it back, but we need to now know, we need to, like, stop talking about, and I think we're close enough to know, um, we need to just stop speculating. We should know if the Democrats win it, which districts will hold. If the Democrats lose it, which districts are going to cost us, right? So, I mean, it's really easy for people to go ahead and make predictions but we're two months out. There's no way, and I won't say which way we'll go, you know, either the Democrats hold or the Democrats lose, but would you agree that everybody knows the however many districts there are that can sway can sway the, um, you know, the, the majority, but no one's really talking about that. They're still talking in general terms. We're two months out. We don't need to be talking general terms. We need to see a board and we need to see all the districts and we need to know which districts are in play. And, and, and that will really change. And, and I wonder if we're not being told that because is if it's trending in the Democrats' favor, the press wants to keep the suspense going, right? Uh, and I'm not trying to buy into the whole the press is evil or anything of, of that magnitude, but don't you think that it, it just 
you know, talk about it. Should or should we not know by now which districts are in play and which districts we need to look at? And that will probably help us better get a handle on whether or not the Dems are going to hold on or lose. I, I bet you the, the the top end pollsters, the Dave Wassermans, probably know they probably have a list. You're right. It's not on Twitter yet. It's not really trending just yet. I think there was like the correct me if I'm wrong, John. That was a special election in last year. That was a primary. Uh, uh, both. It was their, it was their primary, right. but it was also a special election because there was a vacancy. Right. So they they just there's some states who have these primaries that are super late. I think those are the last ones, if I'm not mistaken. So I think once that kind of season's over, I think probably once Congress gets back that week, the the January sixth commission comes back. I think that's kind of the timing we'll start to see some of these hyper localized races. There was a lot of district maps maps that changed. Uh, and so I think there's probably just more information gathering than there probably was or used to in the past because of the census and because the maps changed. So I think that's probably why the delay in some of these uh, local races are, are coming out. But I do expect it in the next probably 10 days, definitely before October kicks off. I think we'll definitely get some more uh, focal points for us to look at uh, across the country. And I'll start. What I will do is I will try to start asking around with some of my people who might be in the know that can tell us whether or not, you know, what, what are the districts? Because I think, I think that right now people, the, the prognosticators, the people who run the war rooms for both the Democrats and Republicans, they have a good handle, right? You know, so Illinois, we have an expectation of a 14, three, where 14 Democrats, Illinois basically sends 14 Democrats, three Republicans, I'd like to know, is that 14-3, now a 13-4, right? Is, or is it a 15-2? And if so, what are the districts here? And then do that in every state. What are the, you know, where where are they, you know, I think we can know. I just I just think we can know, and I think we need to know. start knowing. Um, uh, one of the things, too, that, that happened this week was uh, Trump's friends are getting in trouble. So the my pillow guy, uh, did we ever find out? Is it a Hardee's or an Arby's? Because one person said Hardee's, one person said Arby's, but they ran up on Mike Lindell and took his phone. Uh, what was your reaction when you heard that news? I'm pretty sure it's Hardee's because the Hardee's Twitter account was having fun with it. I don't know if you saw that from a PR aspect. They were definitely having fun with it. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I don't know what's on his phone, and I don't know exactly what they're looking for specifically, but consequent when the roosters come home to, to hen or whatever the saying goes, when the chickens come home to hatch, whatever the saying is, that's what I want to see. I want to see accountability. I want to see these guys and these, these people really who I don't particularly think are that bright. Mike Lindell, my only, only awareness of him was the, my pillow guy. I never knew he was on the political spectrum on the right. I just knew him as the, my pillow, pillow guy. And all of a sudden, he's one of the kookiest kind of lunatics in this country. Rudy, some of Trump's kind of advisors, uh, all these people who are on his team that tried to overthrow the the election, try to uh, throw out a, a fair and, and free election. All these people I want to be held uh, accountable. So as far as I'm concerned, they're starting to realize that when you when you look for trouble, you're, it's going to come find you. And a lot of the, a lot of the things they were doing, and we saw that with Matt Gates kind of today. But 
they were asking for pardons too. There's a lot of people who were asking for pardons because they knew that as long as Trump wasn't in office, that they had no protection. So as far as I'm concerned, this is a long time coming. We've seen Rudy get in trouble recently. Let me tell you something, John. I've never been under federal investigation that I know of, but if they roll up on you and grab your phone and they don't arrest you, you're probably in trouble because there's, there's bigger fish to fry and, uh, and your trouble's coming. So I don't think Mike Lindell should be, uh, I, I think he should be uh, enjoying his, his my pillow for now because he might not have one soon enough. Well, and understand this, um, what we've heard, and, you know, I think you and I both want to tread very carefully on the whole, we all of a sudden start learning about something and we become experts overnight. But from what I've heard is they don't, you know, uh, they grab your phone through a warrant and those warrants are issued when there's probable cause. So the fact that so many people are getting their phones grabbed and what have you means that, you know, there's evidence out there. You know, the DOJ had to basically go in front of a judge and ask for and and provide reasons for there to be a warrant. And, you know, the DOJ is not grabbing these things without warrants. So that that does not end too well. That does not bode too well uh, for for any of Trump's friends, but it's look, um, so much stuff is coming out. One of the things you shared with me today, which I think we want to take a deeper dive on is the fact that, uh, Matt Gates went ahead and asked for a preemptive pardon. Now, I don't know, you know, we get the reporting that sources say, I'm not sure if it's been confirmed, but if it, if someone can confirm it, um, that's to me almost as close as you can get to an admission of guilt why would you be i mean he could maybe say well i want a pardon because um even though i'm innocent they're going to railroad me but you know part of getting a pardon is um you know pardons aren't supposed to happen or at least initially be given if a person is innocent they need to that that would be a wrongful conviction that needs to be overturned so um you know part of uh accepting a pardon is to admit guilt so I'd be very fascinated to know uh, if if the people investigating uh, Matt Gates will look at his request for a pardon and see that as an admission of guilt. Well, and just to be clear, John, we know he asked for a pardon. That was part of um, <clears throat> that was part of the January sixth commission uh, hearings, but we just never knew why. We never knew if it was election related because he was on that he was on that uh, election kind of denial trail as well. So him and Margie went on a little tour or whatever, right? So we don't know if it was because of that. And now we definitely can confirm that it was about, or at least allegedly that it was about um, investigation into his uh, sex crimes or whatever it was, right? Tra- human trafficking or, or the, the, the stuff that they're looking at him for. So, yeah, it's pretty clear as an admission of guilt. You would never ask for a pardon uh, if you didn't think that it was coming down the pipeline. Now, I don't know how close they are. I don't know where this story came from, if maybe there's something on the horizon coming our way soon enough. But we, we know that he, John, there's no there's no um, doubt in my mind that he's guilty of this. It's pretty clear because he there's evidence, right? The Venmo, like, it's not like it's alleged. It's not like it's a person saying he did this. He say, she say, like, it's pretty clear, hard evidence that he was... Um, bringing these girls across state lines that were underage. 
So he knew he he knows and he knows and and now he feels vindicated because no investigation has turned up into indictments or charges just yet. But we know that he asked for a pardon because he's guilty, and we've been waiting for him to go down. So I just don't know. I again, I don't want to talk about Garland again because he's been on his game, but. I just wonder when this is coming, but it's pretty clear to me that um, Matt Gates know he broke some laws, and that's why he was begging Trump for a pardon. Well, and, you know, here's the funny thing. You know how people have said to us, "There's that 60 day rule that they don't indict or do anything uh, within 60 days of an election," and we are now within the 60 days. But one of the things I think we've also been told is that. Garland is kind of like a hedgehog or, you know, a, a uh, what's it, the, the honey badger, where Garland ignores politics. So while we can understand that there is this 60-day window that people, uh, the DOJ traditionally follows, I wonder if Garland's going to follow it. If he has, it seems like he's the type of guy that moves when he's got the goods. He doesn't seem like he sits on goods. So do you think that if they get the goods or... I think they have the goods already, but they're probably of the mindset that um, they need to, you know, dot some I's and cross some T's. Do you think Garland sits on the goods till after the election, or is he going to say, I got it, it's ready to pull the trigger, and he's not going to pay any attention to that? Especially since you've doubted Garland, when you, if you look at Garland's moves, what is your thoughts as it relates to, will he, will he wait the 60 days? Or will he just do it when it's when he feels now's the time? Well, I think there's a lot of different angles to this. First, <clears throat> I think the sixty day thing, which is it might be an unwritten rule. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily DOJ policy as much as it's an unwritten rule, but probably was made for a time that we're not in anymore. What I mean by that is it's it's always election time, right? We've seen as soon as Biden was inaugurated, they were asking him about twenty twenty four. As soon as Biden was uh, inaugurated, they were they were they were polling for two thousand twenty two. We're always kind of in this political cycle. The sixty day thing, I don't think, is applicable anymore because we're just such in a twenty four hour year round off year on year uh, political cycle. So I, I don't think that he's thinking that October 1st is any different than December 1st. So that's one angle. The second angle is they, like you said, they had the goods. So it's, it's, I don't think that he'll wait till November 1st to do it. Um, but I also think that if they, they, if they, they could have did it last month. So they're probably clearly waiting on something or more investigation to have happened. So, so I guess what I'm, what I mean by that is I don't think he's purposely will ever do that. The third angle is we're, we're, we're technically within those 60 days now, and they're in a lawsuit with Trump about unclassified or classified documents, right? So I guess what I'm saying is they've already kind of broken the 60-day rule in the sense that now, granted, they, they wanted to keep this quiet. Trump is the one who made this public. Trump's the one who sued them. They didn't want any of this to be public. They could have easily held press conferences, perp walks, et cetera, et cetera. They've been trying to keep this low key. So I'm not blaming them for bringing it up now. But the fact is they're in an ongoing case where there's uh, paperwork being filed within this 60-day. Now, they might not charge him before the election or or what have you. But if they have already kind of entered into the political scene, uh, whether they wanted to or not. So I guess those are the three angles I'm thinking about. Whether they want to respect the 60-day rule or not. 
they they're forced to not because they're already in the conversation. Right. Well, you know, I think the the other thing though too is I I sort of feel that maybe a sixty day rule can apply to Getz. I don't feel like it needs to apply to Trump. I think if if we're not seeing movement on Trump, it has less to do with the sixty day rule. It has probably more to do with just the fact that you've got you know the whole deal with the special master and, and other ele- other elements, but. I think there's a, a, a lot of justification for not following the 60-day rule when it comes to Trump. And more importantly, I think he's kind of made it clear that he intends to be a candidate. And would you agree that there might be a, some of his candidacy is about, well, as long as I'm a candidate, they can't come after me. I mean, that's naive, but do you think that he's also lever- looking to use and leverage his candidacy as a uh, a shield like oh they're coming after me because i'm running against biden i I don't think it'll work but do you think that that's going to be his tact that he's going to use and leverage uh, a potential candidacy as a a reason why he should not be further investigated and eventually indicted yeah so that's a great point one last thing about matt gates it was it was another angle i wanted to talk about that you brought up yeah technically trump's not on the ballot and gates is but I, i think that's a reason why they shouldn't respect the 60 day rule. Like if, if they have, if an indictment is coming from Maggie, if, if Garland is in a meeting with his staff or his team and they know an indictment is coming, whether it's six months, three months, five months, whatever, they might see it fit to let the American public or at least his constituents know that, Hey, this is coming. Right. So uh, granted that was the, the rule that Comey broke, but part of the Comey thing was, it was a week before there was nothing there. It wasn't an investigation, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why we were pissed off at Comey because it was a week before and it wasn't an ongoing investigation. They had launched it. This is an ongoing investigation. It's been almost two years now. And if Garland has him and he's going to indict him six months from now, it's not fair to constituents of Florida to wait in theory. So that's just the last angle. But as far as your point about Trump, yeah, it's pretty clear now that from what reporters say is that Trump wanted to already have announced and McCarthy and senior Republican officials want him to avoid it because they don't they don't want to affect the midterms. They believe internally that Trump, if Trump announces before the midterms, it negatively affects Republicans. So they want him to wait. Now, whether he listens to that or not, it's pretty clear he's running. He's already answered this question. People have asked him and he said, don't worry, you'll be happy, which is my take to say I'm going to be running. And he, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, John, I might have sent this to you. I might have not sent this to you. I saw him where there was a law, not a lawsuit filed, but a complaint filed because he was he was he was campaigning for presidency without announcing. And I think there's some sort of ethical rule there where you have to have paperwork or whatever you have to be a a candidate on the ballot before you could start campaigning because all these rallies is basically campaign events so so yeah he is running without saying he's running uh and i think he wants to announce to help with doj because he could make it a political witch hunt which has been his angle from the from the jump well here's the thing um that uh the 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 final or the the finer point of that is he technically cannot no one can be a candidate until the ballot access period. So what I mean by that, what's ballot access? Ballot access is a term we use in running campaigns, and that's literally how you get people on the ballots. And so, for instance, in Illinois, for a primary that would be in 2024, 
traditionally, depending on what happens on, on the date of our primary, you would not even um, start circulating petitions until uh, next August, August of 23, is believe it or not, is when you start circulating petitions. And you would circulate petitions uh, in Illinois, and then sometime in December uh, is when you would actually submit the petitions. And then once uh, you go through all of the different things, by mid-December, you are officially a candidate. And so realistically, each state has different de primary dates. Each state has different ballot access methods. But he is not on the ballot. But you do, there is paperwork you can file with the FEC that can that formally acknowledges that you're running for an election uh, on the federal side. But, you know, being a, being a candidate on the ballot, he won't be a candidate on the ballot until at the earliest in Illinois, late 2023. And I'm not sure how it is in other states, but in Illinois, that's how it would go. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, he can try it. No one will fall. I don't think the, the people who matter will fall for it. But, you know, here's the funny thing. Um, 2023 is going to be, especially for the Republicans, I'm not sure what Biden will be doing. But for the Republicans, if, if Biden's running, um, there's not going to be a lot of activity on the left. There's not going to be a lot of primary talk. There's not going to be a lot of debates. There's not going to be a lot of cattle calls, what have you. But by January, February of next year, the Republican primary will be in full fledged. Again, if Biden announced he's not running for re-election, so would a Democratic primary. But on the Republican side, the primary will definitely be in full swing. And so, um, but he will, again, not be a legal candidate until he gets on the ballot in any state. But th that will be fascinating. So speaking of the next... Um, primary uh on the republican side and you know you and i are trying to stay away from any kind of 2024 talk until we get through the midterms but there's two people at least one desantis and abbott who uh but desantis more so than abbott who could potentially be on the ballot and they are right now being called and i i agree with the assessment they're nothing but simple low-class low-grade human traffickers so what were your thoughts this week of the continued uh, uh, shipping of uh, immigrants to Illinois, primarily Chicago, New York, Washington, D.C., and now Martha's Vineyard. What was your take on the human trafficking of Republicans this week? Oh, man, John, this is loaded because I feel so many things. First, I just want to take a moment to feel and empathize with the people going through it, right? Some of these are infant children, right? Newborn mother, like not newborn mothers, but newly uh, new mothers who are still going through physical things who can't do these trips, right? There's a lot of that older, elder grandmas and grandpas, right? I want to take a moment to recognize and empathize those people. Second, because we're the multitask, I want to take a moment to um, recognize the work of the people in these communities who are helping, right? Martha's Vineyard, we saw Governor Pritzker and Lightfoot step up and, and take care of the people who were sent to Chicago. Um, the communities, the people, the citizens, the non-elected officials, the the House people, the Senate people who stepped up and tried to help these people in these communities. That's That's another point. Not only, John, do I think this is a political mistake for Republicans because it's just been nothing but bad backlash uh, across the board. It helps their base. Don't get me wrong. It helps Ben Shapiro and Ted Cruz go on their little podcast 
and make fun of it, right? Uh, Ted Cruz today saying um, he enjoyed watching it and he was laughing and we should send people to Palo Alto in front of the Apple headquarters, right? So not only do I think it's a political mistake, and, and I, I want to take a moment to point out the hypocrisy because all these people own iPhones. Uh, Ted Cruz is an Ivy League graduate who has millions of dollars. He's He thinks he's this Texan cowboy. He's an elitist, uh, no matter how he, far he wants to get away from that. So sending them to Apple, sending them to uh, vice president's um, home is just political theater, right? And it's, it's hypocritical by a long shot. Now, DeSantis sent people in Texas. It had nothing to do with Florida um, because he didn't want to affect the Cuban, the Cuban, sorry, uh, population down there who who helps vote him in, right? We'll see what happens in twenty in this upcoming election. But with all that set aside, John, what pisses me off the most is that DeSantis is a bully and Abbott is a bully. And I grew up around a, a lot of legit tough guys. I don't consider myself a tough guy. I'm not going to run, but I don't consider myself a legit tough guy. I grew up around a lot of legit tough guys. DeSantis is not tough. Greg Abbott is not tough. These are weak men, feeble, physically, mentally, emotionally, and uh, spiritually, evil, racist. Um, there's... There, I could throw out a million adjectives to describe these people. They're not tough. They're not strong. They appear that to their Republican base who are weaker than they are. Anybody who supports this, anybody who believes this was um, good, um, I consider to be a, a ill-minded and an Ill -heart, evil-hearted person. So that's what pisses me off the most because I spent my whole life trying to stick up for people who didn't feel like they had a voice. And I'm not no superhero. I'm not a superhero. I'm not a tough guy. But what pisses me off is that DeSantis and Abbott are bullies. And now they're being met with people who stand up to bullies. And that's what I'm most proud of with this whole thing. Sorry for that little rant. No. Um, and, you know, let's let's take a look at it. First and foremost, I think one of the things that really, in my opinion, um, kind of put just shows how asinine they are is, you know, that they're zeroing in and saying, well, these are legal immigrants. First of all, you know, I'm glad they're calling them immigrants as opposed to aliens. But um, no person is illegal that you can you can be here illegally. But let's realize the folks that were sent to Martha's Vineyard, and it's weird because it was Ron DeSantis who uh, sent them to Martha's Vineyard, and they weren't even held in Florida; they were held in Texas. So that's quite questionable. But the second thing is, those are Venezuelans. Venezuelans, unlike Mexicans, are eligible for asylum, for political asylum. So you cannot say that they're here illegally because uh, Venezuelan migrants are fleeing a country that's in turmoil and they are here seeking asylum. And the whole, well, we need to get rid of the illegals, that could potentially fly in some other elements. But just so you know, to be factually correct, the folks coming from Venezuela are not illegal anything because they're asylum seekers. And you and I both know asylum seekers are treated differently than people who just cross the border without having a urgent crisis at home that justifies their coming here, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, not only is this cruel and inhumane, and we kept hearing about um, especially with the folks that got sent to Martha's Vineyard, 
how many of them came under false pretenses. But the other piece here is that um, not only is it false pretenses, but there's, and it may even be federal agents, there's some really, really bad information that's being given where I, I, I heard and I watched on TV where they were saying that there are some people that were sent to Martha's Vineyard who uh, didn't know, didn't have an address, and the people with Homeland Security who helped them fill out the paperwork told them to put down an address that was in Washington State, a homeless shelter in home, Washington State. And by doing that, that meant that their hearings for asylum cases or whatever uh, they're dealing with in, in the um, immigration uh, uh, legal spa space, um, they would never, ever be able to attend those hearings. So there is a lot of malfeasance going on. And the last thing I was going to say is if you look at how much it costs, um, they're making people rich because the cost of if they were to move these people commercially, they would not be spending the money that they're spending them on moving privately. Um, the 600000 they spent on the flights from Florida or, or that the census uh, spent because they're not really coming from Florida. Um, that broke down to something like $12,000 per immigrant. That's insane. Um, the price that they've been paying for the buses from uh, Texas to New York breaks down to about $1,000 per immigrant, where they've reported that if a person were to go to a Greyhound bus station and buy a ticket from Texas to New York, it would only cost $300 a person. So in addition to everything being cruel, I want to know who are the people getting these contracts and is should there be some type of examination about um, wasteful spending or maybe even uh, overbloated, inflated contracts that can come back to hunt both governors? Well, that's a great point. Everything you said is correct, by the way. But not only that, but the, who's paying for it, right? Taxpayers, right? So you have people in Florida and Texas paying for this and – Republicans are the are the the party of government. They don't want government overreach. They don't want to waste taxpayer money. They don't want to do this, 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 and this. And they're literally doing this, and all their supporters are going for it. Um, like I said, I, I just think it's it's yes, John, it's cruel and inhumane. I just I just don't get that you're going to get that much political points off of it. Yeah, you get to go on Fox News and tip your hat off, but. That might cost you elections, just like Roe might cost you elections across the board, right? They've backed off. And I also think, John, just to put on my conspiracy hat a little bit, I think part of this is just to get the conversation away from Roe, right? They were they were killed politically from basically May to August with Roe. And I think part of this is to put the spotlight back on immigration, which people think Democrats are weak at, Democrats are are the only party who wants to actually do anything about immigration, right? So I think part of this is DeSantis and Abbott who probably have some political points to spare because I feel like personally DeSantis is semi-safe from Florida, right? So he might be doing this to get the conversation away from Road, uh, from Roe, sorry, um, and, and, and go from there. We've seen DeSantis not answer a single question about Roe. He refuses to. Uh, Tim Ryan has... Um, Question JD Vance about Roe and he refuses to answer. Fetterman set up a website with a countdown that shows how long Dr. Oz has been avoiding the question about abortion. So Republicans are getting um, 
slaughtered on the row. So I think part of this is a little bit of a distraction to bring it back to immigration and get the conversation away from Roe. It's on our it's on our end to not only keep the conversation about Roe, but also can keep the conversation about immigration and show people how cru- cruel and inhumane this is. I think they expected John to send these people to places and the people who are there to not be welcoming. Martha Vineyard was welcoming. Chicago was welcoming. Uh, these are communities that are built on diversity, built on handling um, crowds like this. So I'm not sure what they were trying to get out of it other than maybe change the conversation. Well, you know, one of the things, speaking of Chicago, is there's two suburban mayors, one in Burr Ridge, one in Elk Grove Village. And, and those of you who are from Illinois will know those communities well, um, who are Republican mayors where who have had who have hotels in their community that uh, the state and the city sent people to, and they're outraged. Now, first and foremost, the difference between sending um, the migrants to Burr Ridge or Elk Grove versus sending them to Illinois is completely different. First, when, when they're sending the people here on the planes or the buses, they're just dropping them off, and there's no plan to take care of them, what have you. When uh, the migrants that have been sent to Chicago are put up in hotels in both Burridge and Oak Grove Village. By the time they get there, the state of Illinois, I believe it's the Department of Human Services, but the state of Illinois has gone ahead and already created like a plan of uh, a transition plan or a plan of care, meaning that they're not just randomly putting them up in a hotel. There's a program. There's, you know, uh, counselors. There's, we're going to try to move you and get you to where you're going to be. So these mayors complaining, they're not really responsible, right? They're they're not really responsible for the well-being of the people who are being sent to their communities. Uh, J.B. Prisker and Lori Lightfoot are the ones who are being held accountable, and they are accountable. But when these people are being sent to the suburbs, they're not saying to the mayors of Burr Ridge and Oak Grove Village, here, they're your problems. They're like, no, these are still our charges. These are still people we are caring for. We're just housing them in your community. And if the these Republican mayors were really sincere, their anger would not be towards Pritzker or Lightfoot. It would be towards DeSantis and Abbott. But they're all full of crap. Yeah, I don't have any other comment. Then they're all full of crap. This is a dog whistle. They have to do this for their constituents. Um, as you know, John, I'm on the north side. There's a there's a heavily. It's more red. It's still blue, but it's just more red uh, than um, the, the Chicago is. Right. A lot of people don't realize that that a lot of Illinois is red. Illinois is red outside of Chicago. Right. So I'm on the group the group Facebook just to see what's going on in the community and. There was a rumor, I, I tried to fact check it, I couldn't, but there was a rumor that some of them were coming to the north side of Chicago, what have you, um, and they were just completely outraged, right? Blaming Lightfoot, blaming JB, literally nothing to do with them. But again, this is what the political environment we're in, misinformation. Even if you know the truth, you're going to spin it the way you want to spin it. Um, and we have to be vigilant just about truth and continue to tell the truth, to call people out, Um and I saw people in the comments saying this has nothing to do with Lightfoot. She was sent a bunch of people on unplanned um, and she had to figure out something to do with them as a human being. Right. And so um, it's our, it's on us to be vigilant about just, just counteracting that misinformation with, with truth. I don't know right. what, go ahead, John. Sorry. 
what, what, and what I was going to say is, quite frankly, what people don't really want to acknowledge, and it's it's meant to make Lightfoot look bad, but if you understand the way, what the various responsibilities are in government and what are the necessary things that people in government need to be doing, um, when, and I'm not sure how it's set up in these other states, but in Illinois, because you have the Department of Human Services, which is a state agency, not a federal agency, although there may be a human services department within the city, but the, the jurisdiction, the responsibility falls on the state, not the city. So because they're in the city and, you know, it is something that both uh, the mayor and the county board president, Tony Preckwinkle, need to concern themselves with, but ultimately the care for the undocumented immigrants really falls on the state. So the people in your chat should understand, um, Lori wasn't, I, I don't know, I'm not involved in discussions, but I bet you it wasn't Lori who ultimately decided to, um, you know, move him to the suburbs. I bet you it was JB. But here's the other thing though, too. Um, the one thing you want to be able to do, and this sounds a little weird, but I want you to just think about things, um, is you want the migrants to be as spread out as possible. If you took, so you know how they sent the first round of migrants to, there's some migrants who are probably still in Chicago, first and foremost. Secondly, they sent migrants to uh, Elk Grove, I mean, Burridge first and then Elk Grove Village. When you have that many people in need of assistance, that many people who, uh, you know, don't know English, you want to make sure that they're dispersed throughout the, not just the region, not just the Chicago metropolitan area, but throughout the state, because if you have that intensity of, let's just say they ultimately send a thousand people to Chicago, right? You don't want those a thousand people all living in the same space because the caregivers, the service providers, they would be overwhelmed. So you want to be able to spread out the migrants as much as possible for no other reason is for them to get good and quality attention you know if they're all in the same place that's not going to happen because those caregivers will be overwhelmed yeah that's, that's a valid point i i also just think um look you have to deal with pe like those people in these communities who are complaining who feel like these people are violent or what have you these are just families right these are families often they have little children and stuff like that so just deal with it like, I, I just want people to be uncomfortable with their hatred. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if they were sent to Burridge, Elk Road, Libertyville, wherever they were sent, right? You just have to be, um, we're all part of this community and it takes a village. And that's why I, I wanted to take a moment in the beginning of my rant to just uh, thank the people who are helping because at the end of the day, that's what it's going to be about, right? And we saw with COVID, we saw with the election and we saw with George Floyd, there's a subset of, country, of of this country that are Republicans, that are white, that refuse to, to partake in the rest of the country. And I'm just kind of tired of coddling those people. So those people in Burridge who are complaining, you're going to have to deal with it and you're going to have to get over it is my general philosophy. Right. But as I said before, more importantly, these are yeah. not people who are here illegally. They are yeah, asylum 100%. seekers. And, and, and that just, if people, I mean, granted, there are probably people that I'm not sure that might be, that are coming through. And we know that there's a lot of people who come here illegally. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying the fact 
that there's a significant number of people in this country illegally. But in the case of the folks that were sent to Martha's Vineyard, they were all, and I think the people being sent here too, sent to Chicago, are from Venezuela. And if they're coming from Venezuela, they are not here illegally. They are asylum seekers. And if you're calling them illegal, then you're showing your ignorance to how immigration law works because a significant portion of these people are not here illegally. Yeah, but I don't think that those people care. And what I mean by that is they use the term illegal because anybody who's not them is illegal to them. So you're saying some of it might be ignorance to how it's working, but some of it's just they just want the political war and they want to throw this in our face. And so I just don't give them that much credit of being ignorant. I just think they're choosing to uh, believe what they want to believe, essentially. People coming here from Venezuela are no, should not, I, and I, I maybe I don't want to be outrageously authoritative here, but the people coming here from Venezuela should really be no more um, a threat to us or, you know, status than people coming here from Ukraine. Why are people coming here from Ukraine? Because it's a war-torn country right? Why are people coming here from Venezuela? Because of Maduro and some of the things that are going on down in Venezuela. And so if you didn't have that same energy, and you and I both know when those white folks coming from Ukraine were here, the same people who are pissed off didn't have anything to say, right? And it was funny because JB's team, the governor of Illinois' team, pointed out to one of the mayors, I'm not sure if it was Burridge or Elk Grove Village, that this is no different than when they sent uh, Afghans to that community. Evidently, one of those communities hosted Afghan refugees without a peep. This is no different than that. This is two months before an election, and we know what's going on. But more importantly, I don't think we can stress enough the whole issue of potential human trafficking. It is, if you're moving people under false pretenses across state lines, that is human trafficking. So, look, I'm not sure if Garland has it in him, you know, uh, as you you call them, dark garland, dark garland may have it in them, but they could, but they could conceivably uh, go after their governors. You know what I would probably do is I wouldn't go after the governors initially. I would go after the people who are moving the people. I would go after some of the lower level staffers, the people who don't have deep pockets, and just make them tell on the people at, at, in charge of this. Well, not, not only I would do that, but I would also have high profile Democrats. Maybe some in Congress. I don't think you use Biden or the vice president, but have them go out and just say it's worth having us look into whether this is human trafficking or not. Just sometimes the threat of it, John, I don't know the legalities of it. I'm sure there's people answering those questions right now, but I don't know the legality of it. But sometimes just throwing it out there, maybe freaking DeSantis out, ab it out a little bit, maybe might stop the future one. And if we could stop it for now, then address what happened is probably better. But I think we should at least threaten to look into it and whether it was human trafficking or not. Right. Now, on a, we, we need to wind it down, but on a note that we're going to end on, I want to end on a positive Biden note. This week, and I'm not sure, I ride the train in from the suburbs of the city, and so I take Metro Electric, and there was a chance we're going to get impacted. But this week, there, this past week, there was a... a, a a strike in the works for rail for freight workers and those freight workers uh, going on strike because people share railroads and, and, and track line track space uh, was going to impact Amtrak and commuter services throughout the country and have a really negative impact on our economy. And the Biden team led by Marty Walsh, 
uh, went ahead and prevented a strike. And, you know, it, it, it's not um, infrastructure. It's not, you know, climate. But uh, we dodged a bullet, and we dodged a bullet because of the leadership of Joe Biden and his team, and they need all the roses for that. Not, not only do they need all the, the roses and flowers, but they are not taking a lap here, which is, I think, is fine. You don't have to take a lap on everything. Um, but the fact is, this is what people who govern do. They step in, they try to fix and avoid problems, um, if not just to delay it a little bit, right? Just not to have the devastating um, effects that the strike would have had, right? This is what people govern do. Republicans have no interest in governing, right? Republicans are the ones who are anti-union, who are um, mad at workers' rights, right? And, and it's not lost on me. I don't want to make this political, John. It is, but I don't want to make it a red-blue thing. But it's not lost on me that a majority of these workers probably did not vote for Biden. And here he is stepping in trying to help them. Um, and I just hope that... I just hope that people realize that even if you don't vote for him because of the avoided strike, I just hope you realize that there's one party in this country who's trying to help, even though we might come up short, we're trying to, and there's a political party who does not care about helping anybody but themselves. And I think that's the lesson here is Democrats govern, Democrats deliver. And here's another case of it. Yep. 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 And because of Democrats, seniors will not pay more than $35 a month for their insulin. So on that, for on that note, this is John signing off. This is Friday Saturday. Thanks for joining us, guys.